This is Creepy and Geeky, a part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network. Welcome to Creepy and Kiki. I'm your host, Robert. And on today's episode, Iona Smith joins me to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. Iona is a senior contributor for Ghouls Magazine, who also co-arranges monthly themed film screenings in London. Welcome back to the show, Iona. Hello. Lovely to see you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's good to see you. Uh, uh... Yeah, so we are deep into uh, uh, phase two of the MCU now. Yes, 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 yes. With what is possibly their most wildest swing up to this date, uh, you know they 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 took a big chance on doing Guardians of the Galaxy at this moment, uh, and oh, it paid off well for them. Yeah, I think I think Guardians of the Galaxy is best described as the drunk uncle that turns up to your birthday party, and you don't know whether it's going to be the fun drunk or the not so fun drunk. And then it, right. it swings in the right way. And like he ends up being like the life and soul and everyone has a great time with it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the drunk uncle you want at every you know, family gathering. Exactly. It's like, where is he? Like, I, I want the <laughs> excitement again. I want the fun again. <laughs> right. Yeah, I would say um, with this uh, movie that they had, um, that this kind of refocused Marvel between both, Captain America Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy, this kind of made Marvel realize that they needed to both embrace some of the weird aspects of Marvel, but also, you know, keep some of the grounded stuff, you know, the way that it was, you know, because they kind of doubled down on the weird because then we get Ant-Man, although Ant-Man was already in production and everything, but it's you know we get ant-man uh coming up pretty quickly after this and then you know they they embrace dr strange and everything coming up they they transition thor ragnarok more into a style similar to uh guardians of the galaxy and then but we also have stuff like captain america all this stuff kind of this captain america winter soldier ends up leading into um what becomes of you know avengers moving forward um, that 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 kind of they they refocus the Avengers in that in that vein more than in what Joss Whedon had been doing in the first two Avengers movies. Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of the opening towards, like you said, kind of like the leveling out of like keeping the goofiness and the funness with this kind of side right. of the movies, and then also having the grounded, serious stories that develop right. kind of through the phases as we see kind of in the future. Um, I'm, I am really personally, I'm really glad that they did. Uh, include the comedic elements because when the kind of Marvel Cinematic Universe started off like yeah there was a few like quips and a few kind of comedy moments but there was nothing like this that like fully leaned into that comedy side and I think it opened it up to a lot of different audiences as well yeah no and I think that you know it's not just the comedy but it's the weird um like the the very (laughs) comic book nature of it that they had kind of um not leaned fully enough into they were still up until this point they were still trying to be 
very serious, even with Iron Man. And like you said, with the very quippy nature of some of them. Yeah, they all had quips and everything like that. But they hadn't leaned into the weird um, yeah. aspects just yet. And leaning into that, they did a good job of um, kind of bringing both sides together in a way that actually worked moving forward. Um, I think oh, in, a, in a lot of ways. So yeah, the Guardians is definitely, you know, the groundwork. And 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 it's funny too because you know now we're starting to see that, that that's what DC's doing because they hired oh, yeah. D, they hired James Gunn to do Suicide Squad, and they were like, okay, you know what, we like what you're doing. We're gonna make you the head of our studio now. Uh, just keep doing that stuff, you know. So you know. I so mean- they- <laughs> They went like, more I, into it. So. Yeah. I mean, like, like I, so I used to try my hardest to give DC benefit of the doubt and be like, it's fine. They'll catch up eventually. Like they'll yeah. work out what they're doing. But in my honest yeah. opinion, I don't think I've seen a DC movie in the cinema for so long <laughs> because I just gave up. I was like, oh, yeah. oh God, what is happening? Like, at least with Marvel, like they've like consistently had I mean like they've had a few that I've kind of gone into the cinema and been like eh that was fine but right. I've never come out of a Marvel film from this cinematic cinematic universe and gone well that was the worst thing I've ever seen whereas yeah, yeah. unfortunately with DC I've done that so I know yeah. I know with the employee of James Gunn and stuff they're hoping to lean into it but yeah. I feel like they're dragging a dead horse at this point I'm like guys maybe maybe let's stop for a little bit <laughs> well it feels like at least and we're gonna get back on track to Guardians but yeah. it feels like that what DC's doing because I agree with you completely because DC has just kind of weirdly messed everything up um uh, up until this point they've been the and uh, uh, it would have been fine if they hadn't tried to follow Marvel and doing the cinematic universe. DC has always kind of been better at just kind of, okay, we're going to do a bunch of weird movies, whatever they do, they don't have to connect, just keep mm-hmm. it separate and make it and and just have fun with it rather than trying to make it all connect. And once they tried to make it all connect, that's because they didn't do it right. And because ultimately the DC universe is such a different um comic book universe in itself too and anybody who follows the comic books knows they have rebooted their damn line so many times the comic book people don't even know what the hell they're doing so it really falls in line (laughs) that the movies wouldn't know what the hell they're doing too so they just they rather than rebooting constantly they just need to just stick to something figure it out just do Honestly, it seems like what they're doing now with James Gunn's stuff is actually sort of getting on track. They've got some it's stuff open. that's going to be cinematic universe type stuff, but most of it's going to fall into um, camps where you're going to have, mm-hmm. um, you know, Matt Reeves, Batman stuff. You're going to have um, the the um, Joaquin Phoenix uh, uh, Joker universe type stuff. And then you're going to have stuff that kind of falls in between there. So yeah. it's like. Okay, hopefully they figure out their stuff. I, I don't know that I'll still watch a lot. I mean, to be fair, I have watched literally every movie so far of the DC universe. Just hoping um, they figure out their tone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a <laughs> for punishment. You're, apparently, you're still you're still there clinging on for like that small shred of hope. And I've, I've I just I put it to bed. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I did. I went actually went out and watched the Flash, and uh, and because I wanted to see Michael Keaton as Batman again, that was the main yeah. thing, and I wanted to see like him just playing that character again and having that much fun. Yeah, um, no, but, that's fair. Yeah. 
Now, the movie itself as a whole, <laughs> not that good. But yeah, him and, it, and <laughs> yeah, and and the Supergirl stuff is really good too. So oh, it's nice. just um, at least um, uh, Sasha Kai uh, playing her is like mm-hmm. I would like to see more of her playing Supergirl. So yeah, uh, but yeah, it's beyond so that, good, the movie's kind of yeah. Well, and like they're they're they were riding the multiverse coattails, and I know they had been planning on it for a long time. Um, this whole movie's been planned for a long time, but it just felt like so much like too little, too late for them. Um, yeah, I think that was the thing. Right on that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like you said, with kind of chasing the Marvel tale of like everything yeah. going really right for them and trying to learn from kind of the success of Marvel. Yeah, I feel like DC are just a little bit behind on the times, but who knows? Maybe in the future they'll catch up. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, who knows? Probably Never not. Know. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so getting back to Guardians of the Galaxy, yes. uh, Volume One, uh, as it uh, will retroactively be called, uh, mm-hmm. it's this was you know James Gunn coming into this again. This is what's interesting about Marvel too. They keep taking these chances on these, uh, um, and they did it from the very beginning with Iron Man with John Favreau. John Favreau hadn't done anything really like he'd done maybe Zathura that was kind of like FX heavy and um, actioning and stuff like that, but to bringing him in to do Iron Man. That was crazy. Um, And they kept doing that. Like uh, um, Winter Soldier was uh, two guys who had worked on community. Um, You know, it was like. Which is wild. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I love community. Um, Like, it's it's one of my favorite shows. But that is a ballsy move. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and they keep doing that. The people that they hire on, like James Gunn. James Gunn had had a semi-good history he'd done a, a few things here and there that were really good like slither and stuff like yeah. that but his stuff was more in the horror and just kind of goofy he came from trauma um yeah. so you know it, it comes from a different mentality and stuff that so yeah so james gunn coming from that kind of thing and then we get it later on too we get people who like edgar wright was supposed to be the original director on ant-man and god i wish we could have seen that version oh i know um but i'll get in more of that in my ant-man episode yeah um <laughs> And then, um, you know, and it, and it continues down the line. They get um, directors who've done uh, more smaller works like Chloe Zhao for Eternals. Um, you get uh, Ryan Coogler for uh, the Black Panther movies. So you've got like they're really choosing along the way Taika Waititi for uh, Thor Ragnarok. People mm-hmm. who haven't done stuff of this level and giving them this chance to do it. And I love that because sometimes these people are knocking it out of the park and give it and and bringing, you know, such unique, um, like people call the Marvel movies, they 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 think of them as being very samey and stuff like that. But I don't really see that so much um, because I think that each director brings their own sensibilities to them. Um, oh, hundred yeah. percent. I think I think regardless of the movie, the each director in the Marvel Cinematic Universe has their own kind of flavor and their own kind of brands right. that they bring to their individual stories. And like, I feel like you can really see it. I mean, mm-hmm. I know obviously uh, not not a director that didn't have a big kind of background before, but for example, like Sam Raimi coming and doing uh, yeah. the second Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, blew my mind because I'm a massive Sam Raimi fan. But yeah, obviously his background same. is very different. <laughs> like, yeah. like, we, like, like, like we, as 
fellow horror fans we know him from his horror work like that is his like stuff and then he comes in and pulls that and we're like wow okay no i see the horror elements but also i see why he worked perfectly for this kind of story and it was the same with james gunn for guardians like coming in with his kind of wacky weirdness right and really putting his own brand on these characters yeah no, I agree. Uh, and and that's, you know, something that I really love about this movie is just that, you know, you get this group of people who should not work well together that actually does work well and becomes a family by the end of it. Yeah. You know, you know, they become like, you know, at the end of this one, they're more friends, but they do become family over the course of, you know, all of this that, um, you know, it's it's. It's just interesting. And it and it just plays into a lot of those kind of um uh tropes of the found family and especially kind of in like science fiction. You know, it like people said this is kind of Marvel's version of Star Wars. Um mm-hmm. that you know, you get this group of people together that probably wouldn't work well together, but that but just does. Um and and I love that 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 aspect of it uh really pulls it together well. Uh, because you see all these people who and I mean, it, it's even towards the end of the movie that um, uh, Peter Quill is talking to them and saying, you know, I see losers here. And he's like, not not because you guys suck, but because we've all lost something and mm-hmm. we're all and and that's it to the core. They've all lost family in ways or they're like, you know, only the one individual, like in terms of Rocket and Groot, they're like the only kind that they are. And that, um, so by doing that, they've found this family together. And that's, that's a, a fun thing, especially for people who are, you know, maybe like me, who kind of has always felt like an outcast or has always been kind of a loner and stuff like that, um, that I've gravitated towards people, um, like that and, and friends like that, who, you know, I consider like family in that way, because, that's how it is, you know. Oh, hundred percent. Especially and I feel like in the like, horror community. Oh yeah, I mean, me and you are very much both kind of immersed in that in that community, yeah. and we both know that like you get your found family with those kind of communities, <laughs> right? But like, yeah. I mean, it like even with individual characters and guardians, like I feel like very often people can kind of see their friends in that ensemble. Like <laughs> right. some of us, some of us have like a Drax who doesn't quite isn't is yeah. kind of not quite the butt of the jokes but doesn't kind of quite cap catch on to the jokes as quickly right. as everyone else um and then you've got rocket who's always the super sarky one always there to kind of be a bit given it all that but then right. will actually be there for you in a time of need and will do anything and everything for you that they can right. and then also in the meanwhile in the meanwhile get yourself in trouble as well um right. like yeah. and then and then you've got and then you've got people like Groot who are like the big lovable kind of I think quite misunderstood character in the fact that no one really understands yeah. what the heck he's saying half the time right. but yeah. he's so sweet and so kind and he's like this just loving giant <laughs> right like there's always there's always those types of friends in a big ensemble friendship group oh yeah absolutely yeah no and that's what makes it I think that's what made it um, so unique and fun for people was that you know you go into this you're expecting you know some good fun of course uh, but you know you you find something a lot more meaningful through this and yeah. you know as we've gone along each one of these movies um, has gotten um, just has added more and more to the overall like Guardians mythos of it all and um, just keeps 
just keeps adding to the family like you know mm-hmm. nebula who nebula and, and yondu who are more kind of antagonistic in this one you know become part of the family in the next one and oh, it hurt it hurts my heart so much whenever <laughs> anyone mentions yondu like yeah he is he is one of my favorite marvel characters i love him <laughs> but like him being an antagonist in this one is i think my favorite part of his character because i just love i i mean I love I love the actor anyway. Like, yeah, uh, th- I'm just I'm just saying. I definitely did know Michael Rooker from Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer before I knew <laughs> before I knew Guardians. But I love him, and so yeah, him playing Yondu That's is funny. one of my absolute favorite things about Marvel. <laughs> See, for me, like I didn't say I I don't think I've still seen Henry uh, uh, Portrait mm. of a Serial Killer. It's very um, but, different to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I know Michael Rooker from uh, Ch- uh, uh, from Mallrats, so um, yes. that's <laughs> it's a much di- again a much different role. So that's uh, a very big know. sidestep as well. Yeah. <laughs> so no, but Michael Rooker's always been one of those great actors. You know, he's 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 always just whatever he does, he brings. You know, he he always understands the assignment. He's one of those actors very who always so. understands the assignment. Yeah, and uh, it's great to see him. Uh, you know, obviously, him and James Gunn are good friends because he's been in pretty much everything James Gunn has done. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's a uh, it. You know, it's kind of hard. We're kind of jumping all over the place with the movie, but it's kind of hard to talk about the movie without jumping all over the place. But it's uh, true. you know, it's you know, and I don't like to do plot synopsis. You know, because go just go watch the movie. I want to have a conversation yeah. about it anyway. But yeah, it's. But that's what's fun about it. And you, you, so I know that Chris Pratt has gotten a lot of crap um, his way. And I don't th- necessarily think that it's completely warranted. Um, I don't think that he's really done anything that wrong um, for the most part, you know, not outwardly like, sure, I guess he's, I guess his brother's like kind of iffy or whatever like that and, mm-hmm. and everything. But now I will say the one thing that I don't like is um the whole uh him and Anna Ferris breakup. That seems oh, no. really bad. Yeah, so, that that was that was not that was not a but good But that's sign. personal <laughs> between them. So exactly, like, you know, exactly. like outside of that, you know, he as a person he seems to be generally okay. He doesn't seem yeah. uh, compared to a lot of other people he could be worse. So if you go if you go I, by a lot of his kind of cast responses and stuff to what he's like on set and all that kind of stuff. Like most pretty much all of the cast of guardians get get along with him like they are like even outside of the characters that cast does seem quite close and quite like familiar with each other so right yeah and uh you know and i know that he's gone off and um like you know when he's not doing movies and stuff like that he goes to hospitals and he'll dress as star lord and actually go and you know meet kids and stuff so you know that in itself is just like awesome like whatever you do and besides that like i've always thought chris pratt was a, a very funny and very personable. I loved him on uh, on uh, Parks and Rec. Um, yes, <laughs> another one of my favorites. All my favorite sitcoms. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm fully there. I'm fully there for the sitcom life as well. I've rewatched Parks and Rec about five oh. or six times all the way through. <laughs> I've really gotten good. quite that far. I think I'm in. The, I think oh. I've done two full two full run through so far. The, uh, the, the COVID pandemic, yet. the COVID pandemic was the, <laughs> was the, the rerun and rerun of that show. <laughs> yeah. It's a good show for that too. Yeah. yeah no, definitely. I, 
but I loved him from that. And so it was great to see him and he would pop up in uh, uh, movies occasionally as kind of like mm-hmm. the, the dopey best friend or whatever. And yeah. uh, he, he had that. And so it's funny to see, cause he, this is the movie that really rocketed him to stardom uh, oh, yeah. in that way and gave him a lot more of the, the, the thing that pushed him into the Jurassic world franchise and mm-hmm. a lot into the the stuff he does today. So while I think that is okay, I think he really is better at the comedy aspect more than the action aspect. And so yeah. he keeps getting all these action things. And I'm like, no, dude, pull back from that. Go back into the comedy stuff and do that. That's my that's my one quibble with everything. He It yeah. works well for him in the MCU. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. As Star-Lord, it works well. He plays a very good Star-Lord. Although I did see recently that Adam Brody had been had auditioned for Peter Quill Star Lord. Really? And I want to see that version because yes. I think Adam Brody has been like seriously um misused by Hollywood. In like in like an alternative in, in a multiverse somewhere. Yeah. He yeah. is playing Star Lord. And yeah. I would quite like to travel to that multiverse and check that out. Because no, yeah. I completely agree with you. He is a very underused and underappreciated actor yeah although i will say going back to the horror stuff mm-hmm. he is a really good person who's in a lot of horror movies um, oh yeah and so you know it's nice to see him like you know uh playing in that in that uh universe a lot so wasn't he in um jennifer's body he's in jennifer's body he was in oh, uh, what, uh, what scream four yeah. uh he was in um Oh my he's God. in ready um, or not yeah ready or not yep yeah oh. so he's in a lot of stuff like and i know he's in more stuff too that i'm just not thinking of off the top of my head but oh, yeah he's our boy. So it been... <laughs> what he's our boy <laughs> yeah no and like here's the thing i go back to when he was on the oc all right oh yes. so yes, i yes, loved yes. him on the oc because he was like me he was a comic book geek you know so it was just like you know, I, I I I identify with stuff like that. So it was always mm-hmm. like, so for me, I would love to have seen what he would have done as a, a Star Lord. Like again, I appreciate Chris Pratt. I think he does a great job in that. In that, but yeah, I'd like to see the alternate universe version where he's doing that. Probably the same universe that Tom Selleck is Indiana Jones. So I don't know. Yeah. Might be a little yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm fully like if 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 at some point we're able to travel to that multiverse, I feel like we need to take a day trip and go and check out those films because I would be back. Right? I would be fully backed for both of those. Like they <laughs> right. they both sound amazing to me. <laughs> I would I would love to see the opening scene with Adam Brody doing uh, Come and Get Your Love. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. That that would. <laughs> I feel like that's on like my bucket list of stuff I need to see before I die. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. No, I think I think honestly it would have been so cool to see him in this movie. But I do I do think that Chris Pratt was well cast and he does a good job. Oh, he at was. It. Yeah, um, definitely. So yeah. Um, but going into you know I I, I want to talk about the rest of the cast as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zoe Saldana. Um, yes. she she has been in multiple uh comic book um slash genre uh. Uh, things like she was in um um oh man now i'm forgetting i think she was in the losers wasn't she um i could be wrong oh yeah no she Uh, was yeah yeah so with uh, with uh chris evans and um and uh uh, jeffrey dean morgan um Mm -hmm. and then she was also in uh the star trek uh the kelvin trilogy of the star trek movies yes 
I so. love I love her in Star Trek. Yeah, like I, I love mean, her I mean, as Uhura. Yeah, I'm 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 a big like Trekkie anyway, but those okay. films were like not everyone loved them, but I adored them. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, like, I really uh, so, had a lot of fun with them. So I'm not a Trekkie. Um, I've watched yeah. all the movies. Um, and I've seen some of the shows. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, some episodes. I'm I'm not big on Trek itself, but I will say that I really like the Kelvin trilogy. I own yeah. it on 4K now. Um, nice. I like I like what J.J. Abrams does, and I know a lot yeah. of people don't like him, but I like his work, and so I, I think can... he did really good. It made Star Trek accessible for me. So it did, yeah. And I can forgive the excessive lens flares for the humanistic stories. <laughs> Like, it's it's egregious in the first Star Trek movie too. Oh, it is so bad in that movie. I thought I thought I was having like you know you know when you get a migraine and you get the light yeah, spots. Yeah. I thought I was having that the first time I watched the first film. I was like, what is happening? Am I having a migraine mid movie right now? But no, right. that was just a lot of lens flare. <laughs> yeah. No, it was just like a lot of lens flare. A lot. Yeah. A lot. A lot. Yeah. Way too much. But yeah. <laughs> I, I digress. But yes, um, so she was great in that. I loved her as Uhuru. Um, she did uh, brought like a lot more to it than um, you know, and and that's what I like about the Kelvin trilogy too. And I'm totally getting wildly off topic again. But that's what what I like about the Kelvin trilogy is that they took the familiar characters and kind of twisted them and 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 the actors were able to make them their own as well. So yeah, that did, you know. Um, but anyway, so Back to this. I I love Zoe Saldana as uh, Gamora. Uh, she does a, such a good job as as this character, uh, m- and through multiple versions of her, as we find out later on. Um, yes. And so, yeah, it's it's getting to see this version of her, and and then the, the relationship that starts to build between her and Star Lord um, is is really um, fun and and interesting in this one. So mm-hmm. I like I like the fact that they're kind of plot goes does she doesn't do what I feel like a lot of comic book women do when they have a love interest in these kind of universes where they fall hard and fast and it's all like really like wow he's charming he's funny let's go in she hates him at the beginning she is like who is this man child why is he in my face he needs to leave and like it's almost like she learns to tolerate him then like him and then finds herself loving him much to her annoyance. <laughs> right. And yeah. I am, and I feel like that is one of the most real love stories you will ever see. <laughs> well, and and then it plays true to both of their characters as well, because yeah. Star Lord is this immature guy um, mm-hmm. who's been like hanging around pirates basically this whole his whole life yeah. and hasn't had to grow up. And through the course of this movie. He has to. He's forced to, you know, save the universe in a lot of ways and step up in a way he's never had to before. And a mm-hmm. part of that is because of, you know, this this family that challenges him and tries to like and makes him want to be a better person. Now, does he always do that? No, because it's not in keeping with his character. Um, no. It's okay to mature a bit and to do the right thing, but also still be, you know immature and you know and a goofball you know yeah. so and then I mean, in that's and how then... i live my life <laughs> <laughs> it's the best way to live but then yeah. like in contrast you've got gamora who has had to live and had to grow up way yeah. too quickly 
Like she, I mean, obviously with her backstory that you learn about the fact that she's an adoptive daughter of Thanos, which this movie sets up for the big deal for like Mm -hmm. the end of this kind of phase. Like this, this is the beginning of the end for that. Um, Well, in my perspective, I know we've had like flashes and hints before this, but this is when you're like, here is the big bad, off we go. Um, And I feel like her story of she has had to grow up, she has had to defend herself, she has had to prove herself from such a young age. And now she's kind of found herself in this botched together family that all of a sudden she's like, I don't have to have my guard up all the time. I can maybe relax slightly around them I can kind of show my funnier relaxed side but it takes a lot for her to get to that point and I think by the end of this film she's not quite there but like later on you see that side of her come out right well and I think that that's you know she's she wants to be away from Thanos she doesn't want to be uh like you know as much as Nebula like hates being treated as second to Gamora and everything like that. She's still falling in line with what Thanos wants. Yeah. Uh, whereas she's still Gamora very much like, is looking for her out. Yeah. Like Nebula is very like in the Stockholm syndrome kind of section yeah. still. She wants to prove herself. She wants to make him happy. Whereas Gamora is kind of past that stage and at the point of, well, morally, this is not right. And she recognizes that and she's grown as a person and as an individual to the point that she's like, I need, I need to step away. I need an excuse. I need a way to escape. Well, and then that's what makes it funny too, because you know, the way her character is, is that this group of people that she aligns herself with, would be the last kind of people that she would be part of. Um, But she finds this kinship with them again, because she's part of the lost, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, she's lost everything that was her you know from childhood on she's lost who she was and this is a chance in a way to find who she really is underneath that and you know she she's putting herself with this group of people that is very similar to her she's she's known as the daughter of thanos amongst the universe everybody knows who she is and hates her and so she aligns herself with this group and then through the course of this movie and then later on, you know, becoming part of the guardians of the galaxy that they become heroes. They become people to be admired and people who stepped up when nobody else could. And that's, that's what makes, uh, you know, all of this character dynamic uh, and and this group very interesting. I feel like, especially because I know you were saying about um, she's like kind of universally hated um, at the beginning I feel like the moment that really kind of doubles down on that is the prison scene when you see everyone and you see the eyes on her and no one cares about anyone else in that group. It's her. They are going for her. And they're like, you did this to my family. I blame you for this. Even though a lot of it was either by order of Thanos or indirectly by Thanos, but everyone's, she's there, she's to blame. Let's end her. And I I also feel like, the kind of progression of her character and the morality you see her feeling as you kind of go through the film is reflected in that scene as well. Because you so you know, all the guys kind of uh, gang up on her and they're going to slit her throat or something before the others kind of jump in and go, whoa, 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 whoa let's, let's not do this. As kind of the introduction to Drax. Um, I, in my opinion, I feel like she could have fought off majority of those men. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like she could have, she could have, 
ended most of them, if not all of them. But she's right. kind of letting it happen because I feel like at that point she there's a sense of guilt. Yeah. yeah, she morally kind of feels like, oh well, maybe they are right. Maybe it is me. Maybe yeah. I have to kind of, I guess, redemption for my sins in in kind of my life being ended in some dark corner of a prison, and then. Drax's interference kind of kicks it back in and she goes wait no like this isn't how I'm going down I'm going to prove right. myself and she does take them all out you know so it's yeah. like you know she could have at any point but yeah definitely she was giving in to the moment and giving in to that that guilt uh, of what she had done and was just yeah. like just do it already you know she and hesitates so, because of it yeah Mm-hmm. And it's not until uh, Quill intervenes that, you know, things that she decides, oh, you know what, uh, there is something left to fight for, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And that and that's, you know, probably why she aligns with Quill at that moment, because it's it's about, you know, he came up and was like, you know, gave her a reason to fight and to continue on and to you know work against this rather than just give in and, 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 and give up to them. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so speaking of Drax, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Drax is uh, an interesting character. So Drax, I like to go back to the comic books a lot. So Mm -hmm. in in these episodes, because they really do inform the way I look at these movies a lot of ways. Um, But also um, I like to see where they deviate. Um, Mm -hmm. So in the comic books, uh, at this point in time, Drax had been this kind of version uh, of of himself, but there was a version of Drax that was that came earlier on in um, I think the around in the seventies, um, and it was aligned. He was part of a group um, with uh, Adam Warlock, uh, Gamora uh, himself, and uh, Pip the Troll. What uh, team? Pip the Troll. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's so wild, you know, the the and then we've eventually got all these characters now in the Marvel Universe in some former version uh, since then. Um, but it's it's interesting to see that transition because in the first in the in his first incarnation, um, it, <clears throat> he was human. Um, he's actually human from Earth um, and he's he, he was driving with his family in his car, his wife and child. And uh, it was destroyed by Thanos um, and he died. Um, him and his family all died. And it was a, a, a mentor from um, uh, the Titans of wherever Thanos is from. I can't remember at the moment, mm-hmm. but um, but they are um, it basically Thanos's father mentor. Uh, raised uh, Drax from the dead um, and mm-hmm. gave him power. And he was like, he was basically kind of like he was green and Hulk like, um, but had a, like a purple costume and cape and everything like that. It was re- very weird. <laughs> um, and he and he had like his sole thing was to kill Thanos. And so so there's parallels uh, for sure mm-hmm. what they do um, later on down the road. I'm not sure, quite sure how, but Drax ends up changing um, from that kind of probably because they didn't want to have a Hulk like cosmic character that's basically kind of look like the hulk um and gave him the version that we see now more gray with the mm-hmm. tattoos and um uh, and more of a like an assassin type with knives um yeah. which i think was a good change uh in a lot of ways and that that version was definitely part of 
<clears throat> a version of uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, with Star-Lord and Rocket and Groot. So I've just uh, looked up the image of 70s Drax. And so the image looks incredibly familiar to me. I was not like, right. I'm not accustomed to this version of Drax, but somewhere in the chaos that is my discovery of Marvel as I've grown up, I've definitely seen this image before and I never connected that to Drax. Never. <laughs> yeah. So if you've ever read the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, um, mm -hmm. that's possible that that's probably where you saw that ad because he was a ah. he was part of the group of people aligned with Adam Warlock yeah. and them who were trying to stop Thanos uh from yeah. uh destroying the universe. The so. more you know, but yeah, I'm glad yeah. they uh they changed it to the Drax we've got today, I think. But yeah, so I think that 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 you know for a lot of people if they, if if people had looked up um uh, Infinity Gauntlet around this time period of trying to you know connect the comic books and and, and with the movies and stuff that yeah that would have been the version you would have seen was the weird um you know Drax and he lasted until like because that was an 80s comic um so I'm sure he lasted I'm pretty sure he lasted somewhere into the 90s um, yeah so and because the his this group of characters with Adam Warlock uh, Drax Gamora. And Pip the Troll, they kind of continued on into the 90s uh, for quite a bit. Mm. So, but yeah, so um, so the character is very much in keeping with the more modern incarnation of him, um, which is which is good. Um, it would have been a little weird to see like, you know, early 70s to 90s uh, Drax uh, jumping around with the cape and everything. <laughs> Yeah, so. I feel like I feel like aesthetic wise, that probably wouldn't have suited the, everyone no. else. Like I know right. there's supposed to be a bit of a ragtag bunch of like weirdos, but I feel like <laughs> right. the cape especially maybe wouldn't have fitted in there. Right. But uh but I do like uh um uh Dave Bautista's um acting in this. It's it's one of those oh, yeah. um yeah, yeah, and, and it's interesting too to see him grow as an actor since this too, because I think this was really his big breakout. Like I, I I'm pretty sure he did some work here and there before that. But it's after this point that he really starts to grow as an actor and, uh, you know, branch out from here. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, so I am a full believer that Dave Batista is the best actor that's come from a wrestling background. And that is my personal opinion. And people will come for me for it. But I love him. He his acting ability, especially since Guardians, has only gotten better. And yeah. like, I mean, Again, people are going to come for me for this, but Knock at the Cabin, the Shyamalan oh, yeah. released recently. Best film in the world, storyline-wise, but his acting in like that. His performance in it, yeah. Oh, my God. He stole that, the entire film for me. He is incredible. That and, uh, that and Glass Onion. Um, yes. He was fantastic in Glass Onion. I mean, I really enjoyed Glass Onion just because it wasn't what I kind of thought it was going to be. Same as when Knives Out came out, but yeah. he he's excellent in that. And then, I mean, Dune as well. Like he's really. I haven't good watched Dune, well. but oh, yeah. it's so good. I mean, I'm again <laughs> the nerdiness is coming out in me, and that's another right. one of my things I'm a bit of a fan of. <laughs> yeah, but see, yeah, Dune does. Excellent. Dune, I'm not as interested in, so it's never been like something I need to go see. My son really loves it, but. uh 
I, yeah, uh, yeah I, I blame so, my, dad. my son is extra nerdy. So <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I, I blame my dad for my Duna obsession. He's <laughs> he funny. he made me watch the original, original film Lynch version. and yeah. yeah, and read the books when I was younger. Oh, okay. So yeah. I like I and he he goes back and reads reads them like again and again and again. So, but right. again, I digress. Dave Bautista <laughs> in general, his acting is yeah. moi chef kiss so good, and then as yeah. Drax. He he just he brings this childlike innocence and this warrior ferocity into yeah. one character. And I just feel like it's so well performed. And I feel like his characterization of Drax opens up kind of accessibility and understanding to a lot of people outside of the cinema as well. Yeah. Because a lot of people that I've spoken to about Guardians before have related to Drax in terms of understanding of uh, things like autism. Yeah. Because yeah. like social cues, understanding of kind of, right. like I was saying earlier, the being the butt of jokes and things, but not quite clicking on straight away or having kind of a couple of steps to take to get to the joke, to understand right. it as well. Being like too a lot literal. Stuff, exactly yeah. like like when he doesn't understand the concept of like similes and metaphors it right so many people that i've spoken to have been like that's me i get that and i'm like oh okay now i have an understanding now of what of what you right. like, go through when i get when like i I'm, I'm a very metaphorical person i get i say metaphors a lot and a few of my friends are like i don't like you need what <laughs> like you need yeah. to explain this to me and i always I, it just doesn't register because for me i'm like it's a metaphor but yeah drax right. is so good for that kind of yeah. um understanding yeah exactly he's very good at representation yeah no and that and that's what's and again that's part of this found family nature of it all is like you know sure he's kind of the butt of their jokes and he's kind of the butt of the joke of all the of all the movies he's in too you know he's got weird funny things that he does um that you know add to that character because of the literalness and stuff but it's it's definitely like you said it's people you know. If if you are somebody who um is accepting of people, then you're going to come across people like this a lot. Um yeah. and you're going to um you're gonna be friends with people like this. And so you do you recognize that. And while it's funny, it's also um you know endearing as well because you you see that friend in this character of Drax as well and exactly. and they're 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 your Drax in your group or whatever yeah. and so and that's what makes it fun is that everybody not everybody but there's always the people who enjoy these movies a lot have that kind of group dynamic with friends too you there's there's a guardians of the galaxy group out there that you know that, that <laughs> of your friends you know because that's it like you said with 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 the with rocket and with Groot and, and everything that you've got these kind of characters in your friend groups and definitely that's what makes the friend groups fun exactly so, it's a variety it's good yeah if you're all the same it's boring oh god but. exactly <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so no, I think I think he's he's Dave Bautista is such a really good actor. Um, I would agree with you that he's probably the best actor. Um, he's probably not my favorite of the wrestling actors. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, I do have to go with The Rock on this one because I I like The Rock. He does a good job, and I think he he's actually a really good 
actor as well. He mm-hmm. chooses these more blockbuster kind of meathead, not necessarily meathead, but blockbuster hero roles uh, because that's what he wants to do right now. But yeah. you go, you dig into his, you dig into his filmography. He's played some complicated people before. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's nice to see, it's, it's nice to go back and see that, you know, he was doing that. He wasn't, he has decided he wants to be the hero guy um, mm-hmm. and that's working for him. He's being the big you know, action hero, like kind of the throwback to the eighties stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to see. And it's the same thing kind of with John Cena too. Cause John Cena was yeah. one of those guys who tried to make it as like a serious action guy. Um, and I think he's finally finding his footing now, um, through again, of course, James Gunn, um, and playing peacemaker. Yeah. Um, and I think that he's <laughs> yeah. kind of finding that niche because if anybody's watched the the last two fast uh fast and furious movies you see another of my the, loves <laughs> same same see see you got it great minds great you minds be, you got you got to be on the show more um <laughs> <laughs> but um he's in in not in the most recent one but in uh fast 9 mm-hmm. we get introduced to his character and he's pl- pretty much played like a straight kind of villain uh aspect through mo- most of it and he's not really goofy or anything like that. But in the new one, in Fast X, his character is super goofy. Oh, yeah. Um, and and having a lot more fun. And it plays more into, I feel like, who John Cena is as an actor um, and, and, and as a person. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I mean, you know, I, I want to be able to see actors, you know, stretch outside of themselves. And that's all well and good and everything like that. But sometimes leaning into what you're good at is not a bad thing. No, so. I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like I agree with you in terms of his kind of filmography up to this point. Like, I, I'm going to ask a question, but by asking this question, I might be giving a spoiler for something. Okay. Have you seen Barbie yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. His, yes. his cameo oh, in it's Barbie. Perfect. It's so perfect. <laughs> I mean, it's that, like... isn't, that is another thing I could like talk about for a million years, <laughs> just that film. But his cameo yeah. in Barbie, I was like, you're comedy in this yes. is exactly up your street like it is it's no, the same kind of goofiness as he, what he's like in fast 10 yes yeah yeah and i mean he's been doing kind of this like he's done a few comedies um over the years and stuff and he's kind yeah. of started to embrace that i think he kind of wants to do both and kind of wants to do a little bit more serious and stuff but i, I do appreciate that he's kind of leaning into the comedy a little bit more because mm-hmm. i think that's what he's really good at um yeah. And so, you know, especially with, with something like, but that's the thing though, too. I know again, we're going wildly off field, but <laughs> I feel like um, we do this a lot. <laughs> oh, I, like this is my whole show is like, I get I on one though. topic and then I start going off in all the directions. But anyway, so John Cena's performance as a uh, peacemaker in the peacemaker mm-hmm. TV series gives you a lot of that emotion and a lot of that backstory to that character. And you get more of a complex character study uh, to what could have been very much a one note character in, in the yeah. Suicide Squad movie. So, you know, for anybody who hasn't watched uh, Peacemaker, go watch it because it's so good. It's definitely James Gunn all the way through. It's, uh, you know, and, and this is what's funny, too, because with Suicide, Suicide Squad and um, and uh, uh, Peacemaker, he's able to take what he did with Guardians of the Galaxy and, and punch it up just a little bit more to give it that R rating um, yeah. that makes it in some ways even funnier um mm-hmm. 
And so it, you know, definitely go check those out. You know, at least this was all related to James Gunn. So it's I true. We've gone it back around. You've gone full circle. <laughs> I mean, I was I was gonna say to make it go full circle, like John Cena's probably because of his comedic timing, he is probably my second favorite wrestler actor. Yeah. But Dave Batista, the reason that he's still top of my list is because of how well he plays into the yeah. comedy and the serious form. Right. Like yeah. his his dramatic moments. I mean, even in the MCU, his dramatic moments yeah. are they they tug at my heartstrings. And I mean, I I will await your your conversation about uh volume three for Guardians because yeah. my God, that film broke me. <laughs> Oh yeah, no that one, oh. that one's that one's a heartbreaker for sure. I was weeping, yeah. weeping. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, these movies, these movies, this first one not so much. Although you could get a little teary eyed here and there, um, yeah. but the later two are very much like really, like really work you over pretty mm-hmm. good. Um, they just keep getting sadder and sadder. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but Ooh, uh, I have a I have a little question for you. Yeah. What's your ranking when it comes to the Guardians films? What's your like top mm. and what's your bottom? So, um, pre number three, um, it was one and then two, um, mm-hmm. one at the top and two at the bottom. While I like two, um, and I do, I like it a lot. Um, the ego as a character is interesting. I love um, 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 Kurt Russell as an actor, so he was he was really good in that. Um, but I don't know. It just doesn't hit as well as number one does. Um, yeah. But I think with number three, I think I have to put number three up on top now. I need to rewatch it um, again. Um, but part of it is um, the High Evolutionary is one of my favorite villains in the comic books. Now, nice. he's done much differently in this in this version. Um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping we kind of get some taste of him maybe later because he's not dead. Um, which is another thing that I love about um, they're they're starting to do with some of these movies is they mm-hmm. they're not killing the villain. Um, yeah, you, you know, they're never I dead. They never kill the villain. Yeah. They're never dead until you see a body. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you see if you see a corpse, they're yeah. probably dead, but they can still be resurrected in some sort of multiverse yeah. tangent. It's it's but, based on the comic books, man. Everybody's come back at least. Everyone once. comes back. Yeah, <laughs> everyone makes a comeback. Pers- yeah, the only person who is yet to make a real true comeback in the comic books, they like to say, at least in Marvels anyway, is um, uh, uh, Uncle Ben. Because uh, oh. <laughs> it used to be it used to be Uncle Ben and Bucky, uh, yeah. but they eventually figured out a way to bring Bucky back. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, definitely. But, yeah, Un- Uncle Ben feels like it's like a bad joke, though, because oh, I feel like yeah. if they brought back Uncle Ben, ev- everyone would be like, no, like yeah. he's he's like. Dead, dead. In he's like untouchable, every universe. Yeah. Now every that, universe, he's dead. <laughs> sort of. He's been back a couple of times. That, like in the in the Spider Verse stuff, you you meet a yeah. version of him that's like he actually has the spider powers. So oh. it's interesting. So yeah, I love that. Which, <laughs> which then also brings the fact that uh, if he's got the spider powers, then what happened to Peter? Oh God, yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to bring it down. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Spite like Spider-Man is my other Marvel like adoration. Like so Spider-Man oh, yeah. is like the the one I think I was invested in the most pre-MCU. Okay. And okay. then MCU happened and obviously Spider-Man didn't really show up because we had yeah. the Tobey Maguire stuff, but that was right. very separate. And then 
yeah and then obviously with everything that's happened now and like tom holland's right. come in and he is he's he's a lovely spider-man for me he's lovely yeah. <laughs> so i'm I, he gives me like nice little coziness i'm like oh you're so sweet <laughs> yes and personally he's my favorite of the spider-man so far so yeah you know. i feel like he he embodies it the most in terms of the geekiness the age the intelligence mm-hmm. he has the kind of triple threat he has the whole the thing others. yeah yeah whereas like andrew yeah. garfield was slightly too hot to be accepted as like the nerd that he was supposed to right. be he was too cool it was like yeah dude, he was not, too cool not... he was the, he was the better spider-man it, yes. of the two of the two between him and toby mcguire he was the yep. better spider-man yes. um but here's the thing i never i, I toby mcguire never worked for me so oh. i know i know people can hate on me but toby mcguire such... has never worked for me pre pre tom i like toby mcguire i yeah. like toby mcguire don't get me wrong I no, think he's a great actor, but I just never bought him as Spider-Man um, mm. as Peter Parker, even. Um, and then uh, Kirsten Dunst. I love her, too. She's not Mary Jane to me. So yeah. it just kills me because I'm just like, OK, Mary Jane should have been a wholly different character, you know, a wholly yeah. different actress. Yeah. Um, and just like that was the whole thing. Like, I, I love Sam Raimi and we'll get back to what you were talking about, Sam Raimi and stuff and how he did horror, but he also did comic books because he did the three Spider-Man movies. That is very true. Yep. I stand corrected. (laughs) But he, he, but what he did with the Spider-Man movies, it didn't always work well for me. Like, um, and so I appreciate what they, what they were. And I really appreciated how they were able to bring a lot of that into um, uh, um, No Way Home. So uh, that that was really cool in, in that way. But, you know, I digress. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Tom Holland's my super favorite of all all of them, uh, just because I think he embodies everything about Peter Parker and Spider-Man very well, uh, yeah. even if it is a different way into it uh, than the traditional way. Um, yeah, I, I think I agree with you for that, for all rounder Spider-Man, the best one. But yeah, Andrew Garfield was the best just Spider-Man and yeah. for just for physicality and for like abilities and all that kind of stuff going in from that kind of tangent. Of the and he was the line. snarkier Spider-Man too. He, yeah, he had yeah. The jokes. his quips yeah. were there. Like he he had the little like sarcastic comments to the villains and it was all a bit like, oh, he's yeah. being cheeky again kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas Tobey Maguire, I still have a special place in my heart for him because he yeah. was, I mean, I am like the queen of cringe and he was my absolute cringe king. His his awkward cringiness as Peter Parker uh, was it, oh it, I loved it I, I loved it so much. I will <laughs> say that he did he his his version of Peter was definitely the cringiest. So it it yeah. def, it definitely embraced that aspect of the character uh, mm-hmm. very well. So I'll, yeah. I'll give him that much. So good. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, back to Guardians. Um, Again. I don't even know how we got onto Spider Man. Um, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think we just we just got off on our fan tangents. It's great, <laughs> right? Uh, but back to back back to what we were saying. That um, so moving on to Rocket, of course. Yes. Rocket is so Rocket in the beginning. Rocket through the series, um, obviously gains more uh, prominence. Um, and I don't necessarily fully buy him as the heart of the group. Um. In the third movie, yes, obviously in the third movie, but in so this goes back to what you were asking about um, 
uh, which was my favorite of the Guardians movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so number three, obviously, you know, we get much more of Rocket's uh, history and that uh, goes into why I appreciated that between that and the high evolutionary being the villain of this piece was mm-hmm. why it kind of elevated it for me uh, in terms of that. Fair enough. So there was a lot of stuff that I was really excited to see, like Counter Earth and uh, Adam Warlock and stuff. A lot of comic book geekiness stuff that they threw in there that uh, um, sort of worked for me, um, sort mm-hmm. of didn't at times, but it worked well enough that I would say that it's it's probably... All right, it's probably neck and neck with number one, really, because okay. it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to beat number one. Um, number yeah. one is such a good, all over, just one and done film. Even if we never got another Guardians movie, that if we just had number one, it was a great movie just all on its own. So yeah. as a standalone, it was yeah. great. Yeah, but uh, yeah, with number three, I think that it it, it definitely sits above two, um, mm-hmm. and sits probably equal with number one. Um, nice. But so going back to Rocket, I like Rocket. I think Rocket is one of those characters that. So sometimes there's characters in the comic books that don't work for me in the comic books that will work for me better in the movies. Um, okay. And, you know, part of its characterization and writing and stuff like that, that, that elevate it more than, you know, because you're getting more of a distilled version of that. Um, mm-hmm. Deadpool is a character that it's like that where Deadpool has so many different writers and stuff like that. And so many different flavors in the comic books that you don't really, I don't appreciate him as much in the comic books as many others do. Um, Mm -hmm. But I really appreciate Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. Um, I like that version specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, and I think that's similar to with what, um, what they do with rocket in this is that they bring um, even in this, um, you're starting to see, you know, w- when he's got his um, his his outfit off uh, when they're at the prison and you can see the cybernetics implanted into yeah. him. And, you know, just that, you know, Peter's looking at him and just trying not to stare. And he's just like, you know, you can even tell in Peter's face that he feels bad for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just the rocket is such a tragic character um, and you can understand his his anger and his hate towards everything. Um, mm-hmm. And so to find this family of people, again, it's going back to this family and these friends and stuff that this group of people that make you feel like you belong um, and, and that you're part of something for once, you know, obviously him and uh, Groot were, you know, pals and doing their own thing, but mm-hmm. you know, how how much can that sustain without you know others being part of your life and you know and 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 that was great to see in this movie that he finds that that group that family that'll take him in and yeah i think yeah i think like so rocket in this film is a really interesting character to me because he like you said like he's he's really kind of angry at the world you can tell he's quite kind of he's got like selfishness aggressiveness and the only kind of I don't want to use the word humanity because he's not human but the only kind of other side of him the more kind of emotive side the empathetic side that you see is with any interaction with Groot but even that's laced with sarcasm and aggression and insult um and I think even just having like that slight hint of it in this film 
opens up for the progression of his character and opens up towards what you see later on. But I I'm a, I'm appreciative that they didn't do that from the offset. Like his 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 kind of found family story didn't go into um like, oh, like I found all these people. Now I'm gonna be an amazing, like I'm gonna be an amazing person now because right. that's not that's not Rocket. Like Rocket is no. got layers and layers and layers of this trauma and he shields himself so well with all of this aggression and it's going to take time it's going to take a moment it's, it's the same with Gamora like he's very much on that same level of I've had a horrific life yeah. now I'm with this ragtag bunch well I guess I'm going to start showing a bit of empathy and a bit of friendship but I've still got my shield around me I'm yeah. still closed off to most of you right. and then you see the walls break down as, as the character progresses through and I think it's just such a sweet kind of realization story right and that's and really it happens with all the characters too. They all yeah. have their walls up constantly. You know, mm -hmm. as much as they accept each other and they want to be with each other and everything, they constantly snipe at each other. They constantly push against each other. You see it in the second movie, especially because it's, it, you know Rocket is pushing and pushing people away, and 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 Peter remarks about it too. You know, yeah. you got to stop pushing everybody away. And, you know, it's 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 a thing that, you know, obviously Rocket is doing, but they all kind of do it a little bit. So mm -hmm. they all just kind of push against each other and rub each other the wrong way. And it's like, yes, we work well together. Yes, we, you know, obviously need each other, but we also aren't used to this and we don't know how to deal with this in a in a good way. Um, yeah, I think in, I think the emotionally mature way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the most the most accepting and loving and open character in this entire film is probably Groot. <laughs> Groot, yeah. He's he's just he's just along for the ride, and he's just a nice yeah. he's just a nice tree humanoid. Like he just yeah. he's there. He has a lovely time with it. He opens himself up to everyone, even though ninety nine percent of them can't understand what the hell he's saying. Yeah. Um, they learn. They learn eventually. Um, yeah. And then and then by the end of this, he does like the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. And it's like that is, if anything, that is a show of pure love and acceptance yeah. and family that he expresses out to everyone by saving everyone else's life. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, we see like later on, we see the progression of Groot going through like the teenager phase. So he becomes right. sarcastic and closed off and he has his own yeah. other mini character progression. <laughs> but for this film alone, he's just he's right. just there. He's just this big, big friendly guy, just looking after rocket like trying to help everyone having a right. great time even when he's in prison <laughs> yeah no and that's what that's what's fun about uh groot is that mm. you know whereas all of the other are like closed off and pushing against everybody he's the one of the group who is completely open accepting of everybody wants everybody to be there wants to be a part of everything um, you know, and it's a it's a it's a joke that keeps happening is that, you know, that every time they say, oh, we're going to split it three ways. And then Groot's like, I am Groot. And he's <laughs> like, I want some of the money, too. So like, what about me? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, fine, four ways. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, and he definitely earns his cup by the end, for sure. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um, but it's it's just. Yeah, that that's what makes Groot an interesting character. And and on top of that having a you know three word vocabulary but obviously it means something more um mm -hmm. and that rocket understands what he's saying and can help translate uh, uh through it all 
Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, it's, it's a fascinating, um, it just makes for a fascinating group. It's, it's this weird, uh, definitely this misfit group of people who really, like we said, shouldn't work together, but the do, um, yeah. and that, um, you know, fighting against, you know, not really trying to save the universe at first. They're just trying to make their money and, you know, get out of whatever they can um, yeah. while they can, um, you know, trying to, you know, and we haven't talked about it yet, but talking about uh, Ronan, the the, the, mm. the villain of the piece, this guy who wants to destroy Xandar, you know, definitely this is what makes it interesting too, because in the comic books, the Kree are a, they're definitely a warlike species, um, but I wouldn't have said that they would have necessarily been um, always portrayed as the bad guys necessarily. Um, they're just another alien race out there that is, you know, um, in, in terms of the comic books, uh, their main antagonists were always the scroll. Yeah. Um, and with, you know, we've, we get more of that in later movies, uh, starting with Miss Marvel. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, that, that conflict isn't here in this, this is like, you know, uh, this version of, uh, Xandar and the Nova Corps, um, which I'll get into in a minute. Cause I'm not a big fan of this version of the Nova Corps, <laughs> but, uh, but I get the reasons for doing it though. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, seeing this, um, the Cree being, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to broker peace with Xandar, but, um, this guy who is a, is is a zealot like guy who wants to destroy you. Oh, we're not going to do anything about that. You know, deal with it yourself. You know, it's just like, what, what does that mean about brokering peace? Then like, you're not going (laughs) to like actually just tell your guy, Hey, knock it off. You Mm -hmm. know, that's like, you need to simmer down for a minute. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's interesting, especially because Ronan, the accuser in the comic books, isn't necessarily a villain. Yes. He's kind of been, like portrayed as the villain in a way, but he's like, he's like the top like enforcer for the Cree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, of course, if you come into conflict with them, then of course that's going to be an issue. Um, yeah. But it's not something where he's necessary. I wouldn't have called him a bad guy in general, like a villain in general, Um, just because, you know, it's just, it's like if you were to come into conflict with you know to see it from a different perspective of seeing it in, in in the comic books at least seeing it as somebody who was protecting their homeland or something like that you know right it just depends on your perspective um yeah. but in this obviously he's being portrayed as an out and out villain he's genocidal and wants to kill all the zandarians for you know whatever you know reasons <laughs> yeah whatever reason he Cares for. I mean, even Thanos calls him out on it, and he's like, "Thanos is just like, I don't care about your stupid, petty bullshit about this. Like, yeah. get over it. Get me my orb and shut up." Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's like, "Do you work for me? Yes. Do what I tell you. Don't yeah. care about all your crap behind. <laughs> like, just you deal with that in your own time. That's over. T- that's yeah. not overtime work. That's your time work." And I think it's interesting too because this is the at this point this is the most we've gotten of Thanos in in the mm-hmm. movies up up until this point, um, and at. But at this point, he's known as like the most powerful being in the universe Um, that nobody's been able to stop him. He is like, you know, just death incarnate. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's only just kind of been hinted at here and there just little by little. um, And we hadn't really gotten much of that. It would have been kind of cooler to see. um, And I think it's, you know, part of what I think they were trying 
to transition to in this new phase um, with Kang was we get a little bit of Kang and then we were going to get um, different versions of Kang along the way until we get to the Kang dynasty. Um, mm-hmm. But with him, I think that that would have been, it would have suited a little bit better to see Thanos kind of working his way through, um, you know, behind the scenes, maybe just give a scene per movie or something like that. Just little epilogue of just what's Thanos doing today. Um, yeah. <laughs> and just watching him just ransack the universe. Um, a day in the life of Thanos. Yeah, just a day like in the life of Thanos. Another planet just absolutely decimated and he just flies away and you're just like, right, yeah. <laughs> on the next episode. <laughs> yeah. He just turns back and says, see you never. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just horrible. But <laughs> that's, that's another multiverse version. That is like, yeah, that's, yeah. In, that's happening somewhere in another multiverse in those films. We're just watching that's... Thanos destroy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the version with the Thanos copter uh, from the comic yes. books. Yes, I have seen the picture of that. Yes. <laughs> uh, so-, so that actually that actually weirdly exists in the MCU because it's in an episode of the Loki series. It's in the uh, in the in um, some of the later episodes. It's in the place beyond um, where everything goes when they uh, take it out of the time stream. Oh, my God. So, I'm going to need to rewatch Loki to see that. Yeah, it's like real quick, real quick. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I had not picked up on that. I'm going to need to rewatch to see that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, it's so Thanos. Thanos is great in this for what little bit we get in here. Mm-hmm. I think Ronan is okay. I I I think that um the actor. Oh, and I'm completely blanking oh, on his name. Lee Pace. Thank you, Lee Pace. Uh, Lee Pace does a great job. Mm-hmm. I know Lee Pace more from Pushing Daisies. I was um, about to say that to you. I love that show. That TV show. Oh, it's one of my favorites from when I was growing up. It's I remember, I remember that being on. I mean, this is this is this is a UK moment. I remember that being on, I think it was ITV, which is like channel three here. And like I would sit in my kitchen, like oh, with a little with the little crappy TV that was in my parents' (laughs) kitchen and watch Pushing Daisies because no one else wanted to watch it with me because they didn't care about a film about uh, a a TV show, sorry, about a baker who spoke to dead people by like touching them. Touching them, yeah. It was oh, it was so good. Lee Pace is my absolute love because of Pushing Daisies. (laughs) Oh yeah. And it's a so it's a different 100 percent different character. He's like so different from who he is in Pushing Daisies. I, so I, I did not recognize him as well no, when I, I first either. saw it. Yeah. And then I and then I like I, I can't remember how it came up in conversation, but someone said to me and was like, oh yeah, you know, Lee Pace. And I was like, like dorky, adorable Lee Pace from Pushing <laughs> Daisies. And they're like, yeah, and I was like, dude's got buff. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> it's like it's sudden. a record, it's like it's required whenever you join the MCU is you gotta get buff. It's so. like it's like you you go you go into the MCU and you somehow get second puberty. <laughs> Like, yeah, everyone just, just goes swole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chris Pratt did it as well. Oh yeah, like, no. He yeah. he got he got hench as well. So th- there must be yeah. something in the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's 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 crazy how buff these guys get. I mean, Paul Rudd did it for Iron Man. He's like oh. got one scene where he's got, and literally this is how it always is too. It's like one scene where they have their shirts off just so they can show how buff they are, and then throughout the rest of the movie they're covered up. It's like, why are you doing that? <laughs> like, you got to get that buff for that one scene. I uh, mean, I am not complaining about it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't think most people are complaining about it. It's I, fine, you know. I am I am fully there for all of the attractive MCU humans. Like, 
they it, it doesn't matter if they're guy girl alien yeah they're all hot and i love it yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's it's great like i think that it's great to have a especially that equal opportunity there like definitely show off the guy get buff show it off have fun with that because you know <laughs> yeah. we've had plenty you, of women you, having to show it off so but then you get the other side of it as well and then you get like fat thor <laughs> But bless him. Boy was going through stuff. He was really oh, going man. through he stuff really at that was. point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'll talk and about love- that later on in the series as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, he's um, but uh Lee Pace does such a good job at running. You don't rec- realize it's him, you know, between all the makeup and the costuming and stuff like that. You don't you mm-hmm. know, there's no way you would have known it was and the different accent and everything that he's using in this. Yeah. So it's 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 definitely an interesting character. I wouldn't say that. I enjoyed it overall. I think that mm-hmm. he's kind of just a bland character in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, it's just mostly, you know, he's a toady for Thanos. Um, yeah. and so, but um, you know, the real one of the real breakouts of this, and who really doesn't get a lot in this movie specifically, um, is uh Karen Gillan as Nebula. Yes. Um, she's fantastic as the character, and we get m- much more of her in the next two movies. Uh, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, she's great in this, but she's vastly underutilized. Um, she should have been realistically. I would have liked to have seen her be more the villain in this one than Ronan. Um, and yeah. just see, especially that, that sister dynamic between um, her and Gamora. Uh, we get a little bit of it at the end, but it would have been, it would have been interesting to see more of it uh, rather yeah. than the Ronan stuff. I feel like, I feel like Thanos sending, nebula off to hunt down and end gamora because of her betrayal like as the main villain story for that section Mm -hmm. would have been so much more compelling to me because like you said you see it later on you get the sisterly relationship and you get their kind of reconciliation and you get their kind of break apart again when you see like other universe versions but then even that's kind of a reconciliation at some point it's there's so much in their storyline but yeah, the first Guardians, they really do underutilize her. But then I feel like yeah. they were almost kind of testing the waters with Nebula, with Karen Gillan as, as Nebula. And then they realized yeah. that they had such positive fan reaction from it. They were like, great, throw her in, get her in the ring. Right. Like, she's going to go into, like, the core team. She's going to be part of the core storyline. Like, let's utilize her as much right. as possible. And I'm so glad they did. Well, and it's possible. And, you know, I like to speculate, but it's possible that um, she was... You know, not necessarily intended to be the villain of the piece, but definitely used more in in this one. But it's, um, but maybe Kevin Feige and Marvel in general were like, let's put him Ronan, let's put in a big villain, blah blah blah. And then that's when they moved into you know in the next one where they you know and showed the just the 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 antagonism between the two sisters, um, well at least between uh, from Nebula to Gamora, um, because yeah. Gamora wanted to help her, wanted to save her. Um, I did find it was interesting, though, too, watching this. I found an, an, a fun parallel between this and the first Thor movie when mm-hmm. um, Nebula is hanging off of the ship and um, Gamora is trying to uh, save her from falling. And then Nebula just chops her arm off to yeah. fall. And it very ma- much paralleled that scene in Thor when Loki's hanging off the Rainbow Bridge and just decides to fall to his death. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Death, quote unquote. Death. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Always a big quote with death with Loki. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, and it was interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, Nebula doesn't even, there's no pretending that she dies. She 
jumps onto a ship, steals it, throws the guy out, which is hilarious. Oh, and um, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, so it, I just I thought it was interesting because we had that parallel between two brothers and now it's two sisters, you know, mm-hmm. and again, adopted in each instance, you know, but yeah. felt like they were still, you know, family enough. And in so much that, you know, we get more of that in, in the next movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like the the clash of siblings that isn't because of blood, but is because of kind of reputation is a really big theme in in the MCU, which is explored really, really well with both kind of sides of that. So with Loki and Thor and with Nebula and Gamora, as as much as kind of I wish that we'd seen a little bit more of it, I feel like what we have seen from both sides is it it, it feels real. Like it doesn't feel like they're putting it on in any way. I think it's an interesting recurring theme through the MCU as well that um, Mm -hmm. like how you brought that up was that not only do we have these um, these sibling things and you see it recur even in people who weren't siblings, but who have sibling relationships, Uh, Mm -hmm. Cap and Iron Man, um, Cap and Bucky, Um, you know, you, you have multiples of this happening throughout. It's definitely a theme they kind of go for um but also bad parents um yeah thanos um odin who's not necessarily a bad parent um per se but he definitely made bad choices in in the way he handled things Um, yeah definitely and uh you know and then especially in in, you know handling with hella um Mm -hmm. and then you know and, and and um howard stark and you know, just bad parents or bad parent figures. And so yeah. it's interesting that this, this whole kind of um, thread that goes through this. And I hadn't really thought of that until just now when we were talking about this. Yeah, there's, there is, there is definitely a, a big ongoing theme of kind of generational mistakes. So yeah. you suffering for the repercussions of options and choices that the generation above you made. So whether that's a parental figure, whether that's a country as a whole whether that is oh. just in general kind of history repeating itself because of choices that people have made previously like the yeah the repercussions from those kind of choices do come up and up and up in the mcu and i think it, it gives it gives us a big variety of stories as well though like it's yeah. not always focused in kind of one perspective like right. you get all these different tangents and all these different storylines from that ongoing theme right and then we get, you know, and and that was, you know, another thing that I've mentioned in previous episodes that a lot of, um, and it doesn't really, it's not in this movie, but it, in other movies where we have um, the heroes who the the villain of the piece is a dark mirror uh, to the mm-hmm. character, um, you know, thinking of like somebody like Killmonger uh, to Black Panther or yeah. um, um, uh, Ironmonger or, which is weird, two mongers. Um <laughs> Ironmonger to Tony in the first movie, um, Red Skull versus Captain America. You get all these people who are more dark mirrors, um, similar power sets and stuff like that, um, which Guardians, again, is is great for that because it gives you somebody who, because of the Infinity Stone that he has, that he's on a whole nother power level um, that you, which is always the better, in my opinion. I think it's better when the heroes have somebody who is much more powerful than them that they have to fight against. And they either have to team together Mm -hmm. um, to fight them or get their butts kicked and then have to figure out a different way to 
go about defeating uh, this villain. Um, and it works really well in terms of things like Thanos or Hela, um, this with Ronan. So it's interesting that, um, you know, these recurrent themes, we get hiccups here and there, you know, where things change. And that's where I think we get the better movies in a lot of ways, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the things where the where the hero isn't, they might win, but it's going to hurt um, and it's going to hurt yeah. bad. Um, yeah. And in this and this one, it does hurt it, like they have to they have to grab that infinity gem away from him and they have to come together physically as a team touching each other to take on that pain mm-hmm. um, from each other and that shared pain. Like, and that's, again, it speaks, there's so much, there's again, going into metaphor, you know, you're going into this metaphor of like sharing this pain across um, your friends and your family to stop something that's bigger than all of you. Um, mm-hmm. And it just speaks to, and I think that's, you know, James Gunn is really good about that in his movies too, is uh, especially his superhero movies and about these found families and, and uh, what that, how that heals them. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, James Gunn is very good at doing trauma bonding with found families. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. Like everyone, everyone jump on board. Let's all talk about our problems. And now we're a family and we're great together. <laughs> like now yeah. we can work. Right. Well, and, but that's the thing though, too, is like we said, it doesn't always work. Like you, no. you have to make it work. You have to stick together and keep m- making it work together because mm-hmm. it's not always going to be pleasant. You have to keep yeah. fighting, you know, for that, you know, that friendship or that family in that way to make it, uh, to come out on the other side. So, yeah. And as wacky and as weird as guardians is, I think that's kind of what grounds it. Like that's yeah. like the the kind of base truth of that makes it an incredibly relatable film, even though we're just following right. a bunch of aliens, humans, experiments across space. <laughs> right. Like yeah, we've, no, got, we've got all sorts in this bunch, but we can all relate to them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's that's what I think made the movie as successful as it was, was that that relatability that uh, yes we are in a universe beyond earth you know mm-hmm. that yes we started on earth and we kind of you know branch out and we've got this connection through earth with peter but you know what they're going through is relatable because it's a very um you know human thing it's very you know relationship thing uh to to go through and to find your family to find those friends um you know no matter how damaged and how broken you are that there mm-hmm. are people out there who will um become part of you and as long as you make that work that you can you know, keep that family and ke- you got to keep working at it um yeah. but you can you can move to a better place uh, oh we got so philosophical yeah. <laughs> it's so sweet i yeah. i tell you what the other thing that i think was the reason for the success of this film as well was the absolute banging soundtrack there you go yes don't want to forget talking about that oh the the soundtrack on this one like i don't think the other two movies like as much as they got good soundtracks this one as a whole this one worked Mm -hmm. so well i like this one this one he has tried to recapture and hasn't been able to do it quite the same way but this one has such such a good soundtrack that it's, it's, it's impossible to beat. 
the amount of times that I've listened to Awesome Mix Volume <laughs> 1 just yeah. while I'm commuting, while I'm working, while I'm going about my daily life. And I can visualize each scene that each song is in because of yeah. how many times I've seen Guardians. But they're every, every single song in this film is an absolute tune. And yeah. like, yeah, like the, in, in terms of in terms of music that I listened to before this this covers so much of my music taste anyway. So <laughs> right. this was like spot on for me. Even, yeah. even Escape, the Pina Colada song. <laughs> like, even that, I'm like, banger, great. <laughs> yep. And this one supplanted uh, 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 Reservoir Dogs as as what I think of when I hear of Hooked on a Feeling. So, mm, yep, yep. Yeah. It's yeah. that intro, that first little intro. I Every time I'm like, Guardians. <laughs> Um, but it's it's interesting. I think you know my favorite, of course, uh, uh, throughout all of this is probably going to be uh, "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." Um, oh, just yes. one one. That's already a fantastic song that I love anyway. But then it's at such a perfect moment uh, of the movie too. It's a, at the very end, um, and they're all just you know coming together. It's like because it, it's the first song on the Awesome Mix Volume Two uh, yeah. that he puts in the tape deck, um, and so. It's it's so emotional. Um, that that moment where he's discovering this, he had this tape this whole time, this other piece of his mom that he could have had. Yeah. Um, that you know it, that that it breaks your heart. Um, that you know he he's had this. He didn't want to open it because it was the last piece of his mom. Um, that he had, and he just he couldn't let that go enough to open it. And once he did, he found something even deeper in there. And then when you put in that tape and it starts playing and he's looking around and he sees everybody on a ship with him and you he realizes, you know, that now he really does have another family and people yeah. that he can care and love for. And, you know, it's it's just, oh man, it's just so good. Um, yeah, I think, I think for me, the there's two because one of them is just because it's one of my favorite songs of all time and then the other one is just because it's one of my favorite intros to any movie ever and that like the come and get your love scene is oh yeah yeah so good for me like that that song i probably have replayed that song more times than anything on awesome mix just because of that opening scene and him like singing yeah. into the little uh rat thing oh god rat what they called yeah yeah whatever they are they're like when he's like singing along and he's got his jacket on and he's like having a little boogie and then when you see it from another perspective um when they go back in time oh yeah. my god it's so funny i love that yeah so out of tune and he's like spinning around and i'm like that is exactly what i would look like if i was trying to sing along to a song on my like on my phone or something when i was like commuting yeah. but my favorite song of all time like on this in this film is moon age daydream because oh, okay. i love david bowie like bowie is one of my favorite artists of all time so hearing that song and hearing my favorite Bowie song in a film yeah. and that moment I remember like that like playing for the first time when I watched this film for the first time and I I think my entire body went oh okay this is my film this is my film <laughs> <laughs> just because it just connected everything together right. it made me love Marvel it made me love like Bowie even more than I already did like it just combines all of my things together and just it's just this big cozy bowl of happiness so yeah <laughs> like whenever whenever that comes back on on the on the playlist when i'm going through and oh 
that that song yeah. does things to me in all the best ways <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah I, i'm i wouldn't say i'm super familiar with a lot of david bowie's work um i've listened to a few bits here and there i think my favorite of his is golden years though Oh so, yes, that's another. That's to be fair. I that's another absolute years. banger. Yeah. This is this is another thing I can blame my dad for because my dad is the biggest David Bowie fan I've ever met in my life, and he, growing up, he listens to every single album extensively. So I know yeah. more lyrics to David Bowie songs than I maybe know <laughs> for any of other bands or artists. Like it's just ingrained into my like being. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I only know Golden Years because. Um, it was uh, there was this weird Stephen King miniseries called Golden Years that they used it as the theme yes. song. <laughs> oh my god! And so then I was just like, oh my god, this is such a good song. And mm-hmm. then like I would hear it occasionally um after that, and I was just like, oh yeah, this is this is my favorite Bowie song ever. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, I think I think the album that Moon Age Daydream comes from is also my favorite Bowie album. So okay. it's like wrapped up in a nice little bow. Either that or Diamond Dogs. Diamond Dogs is a fucking banger of an album as well. <laughs> Uh, but I will agree with you. Come and get me. Come and get your love. Uh, that's so good. Like I don't know if I had heard the song before the movie, but mm. after that point, like yes, I re-listen that song a lot. Um, yeah. because that's such a good song just in general. Um, and yeah, just the sequence and everything. It's so funny in in game two. Um, that just him dancing around and you're not hearing the music this time. And so it's just funny it's, watching him just dance around. And you, but you, in your own head, you're doing you it. You're hear, listening to yeah, it. You know, so. you know what's happening to him in his brain. Cause you were yeah. there. You were there yeah. at that point. And then, oh, Nebula's comment as well. It's just, it's so <laughs> good. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a great part. And I love that song. Um, I'm trying to remember what the first song is when we first meet Peter. Um, that one's a good song too. Um, oh, it's um, oh, that's gonna annoy me. I know. Now I gotta look it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I mean, I've, I've literally got the list in front of me of of all the songs, trying to work it out. But oh, weird. They're all out of order on the thing. Yeah, on the on the playlists, they very often don't show them in the in the order that it uh plays in the film. Is it? Oh man, that's gonna mess me up. That's gonna annoy me for the rest of the night as well. <laughs> yeah, because it's not it's mm, it's not Ooh Child because that's later on. No, that's the very one. end one. That's yeah. the that's, that's or that's the dance off. Yeah, yeah. When he's like, "It's a dance off, dude." <laughs> it's just like yeah. distraction. <laughs> um, it's not "Fall Around and Fell in Love" because that's the Gamora song. Yeah, when she's like, "It's very pleasant." Um. Oh, I can't remember. That's not it. This is when the rest of the podcast is just us sitting in silence trying to work it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's I'm Not In Love by 10CC. Oh, that. I should have known that. That is a banger of a song as well. <laughs> Got to turn that off. Okay, so, but yes, it's that song. Um, yeah, I like nice. that. It's 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 so, it, it eases you into the movie. Or mm. like real it's, nice and light and yeah it's like background it's mellow but it's also got that sadness to it yeah, yeah. Mm. it's a good um, instruction to him as a character yeah yeah um the, it's interesting too because i had to look it up today because uh they make a reference um in the uh i, I watched uh the the gag reel uh after nice. i was watching the movie and uh because <laughs> i like gag reels um, oh i love a gag reel i would like gag reels more if they were more bloopers 
Um, mm-hmm. That's what I want out of gag reels is not them goofing off and dancing and everything, which is what they've become. But I, yeah. I want blooper reels. That's what yeah. I really want is blooper reels. I like, I like the blooper reels of like people like running into stuff and like, yeah. like yeah. Say, saying really inappropriate things instead of their lines by accident and everyone being like, oh, Freudian slip. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the gag reel, he mentions uh, Top Gun or something like that. And she asks what's Top Gun. And I was like, well, Top Gun came out in 86. When did he get taken? And so I had to look it up and it was 1988 was when he was taken. So I was like, okay, okay. well, at least at least that explains why he knows so much about the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. Because I was just like, why would you know that much about the 80s? Depending on when you got picked up. So yeah. 88 would be, it would have been perfect time to know most of the 80s stuff so yeah most 80s pop culture references yeah. were like in his brain and he was yeah, and he was yeah. like the perfect age for that kind of stuff as well yeah exactly so yeah being an 80s kid myself i understand completely so see i'm 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 a 90s kid but i am very much of the mindset that i should have been an 80s kid because of how much of my love for like music and films and stuff is in right. the 80s <laughs> That's funny. Well, technically, technically, I should have been a seventies kid and then an eighties teen. Is 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 my mindset? Yeah. But everyone always thinks yeah. I'm in the wrong generation. <laughs> I was I was what six to sixteen in the eighties, so it was prime was, prime time for me. Yeah, I was not even a thought in my parents' brain at that point. <laughs> yeah, I'm old, so <laughs> you're not. But yeah, no, it's a you know. So I overall, uh, I, I just I really enjoyed this movie. I think it was a bold move for Marvel to yes. take in doing this, especially at the time when they're still in the second phase. Um, mm-hmm. You know, s- other safer companies would not have done that. They would not have tried to do something that wild. Um, everybody at the time was like, oh, my God, what are they what are they thinking? Um, but I mean, the MCU as a whole has always been about experimenting and throwing things in there and they kind of started off a little bit kind of you know safe ish i would say uh thor was always kind of a like a a a chancy one um but you know building but building up to the avengers was like a huge risk you know who knew if that would work or not um and the fact that they made it work and that they're now 30 plus movies into this whole franchise and multiple tv series that they've made it work. And I, and I really love that, you know, it guardians kind of helps guide that into that because then it made them go, let's take even more chances. Let's get even weirder. Let's have more fun with it rather than, you know, just sticking with, you know, cause sure we could have stuck with a lot more grounded reality stuff with like, you know, Captain America stuff, which again, I love that stuff too. So, yeah. but that's what makes comic books in general, real fun is the wild swings and the weirdness and the more grounded approaches and stuff like that. So it's always fun to see how these movies have grown and changed as well. Yeah. I think, as you said, guardians was like the, for me, I think guardians was like the biggest wildest risk that they took in that era, but it was the beginning of it. It was the beginning of the evolution of the MCU and the beginning of the kind of realization of, Oh, we can, go down this route as well as the series route and i think this was a really strong start for where they went yeah and and i'm glad that they you know continued down i you know speaking of the the future and them like you know kind of dumping james gunn after the weird thing happened with you know his tweets or whatever like that which had already come out before he did the first guardians movie 
Um, and they already had gone and said, yeah, we're not worried about that. You know, the, you know, he's already denounced that he's already apologized for it and everything mm -hmm. and said, you know, that's not who he is anymore. Um, yeah. that, you know, he's grown and, you know, and then, you know, I was happy to see that realistically it sounded like they needed to just kind of publicly go, yes, we're firing you, but behind closed doors, you're coming back for guardians three, go do something else for a little bit, come back. And then, you know, and, and, and it worked out well for him because, you know, he, he managed to pull off, you know, the rare, you know, good movie for the DC universe. And, um, and then got to come back and do and finish up the the Guardians movies uh, the yeah. way that he wanted to, and I think that he really had that freedom in this in the last movie to really push um, what he really wanted to do uh, overall. So yeah, I mean, I think going back to the rankings that we were talking about earlier, I think Guardians One is still my top just because mm -hmm. of how I guess how many times I've seen it, how much it really meant to me when it came out. But right. the third, when James Gunn came back and did kind of what he wanted and what and kind of in terms of like almost a conclusion, but not quite a conclusion for the characters. Right. There's open ends here that here and there, there's potential for people to return. But closing that chapter, I guess, for those characters um, means that the third one is probably my second favorite. So I go one, yeah. three, two. I'm pretty much the same. I would say three, mm -hmm. three's, you know, either even or just below number one. And then yeah. two is at the bottom. But again, even two being at the bottom is still, you know, means it, it's it's not that far away from <laughs> number one. It's still no, no, a no. really good movie. Yeah. And in terms of the MCU, the second one is not the worst MCU film for me either. Oh, no, like the in, second no, one is close. no, exactly. There is there is a lot worse in the MCU. I'm yeah. saying that. The MCU generally consistently yeah. is quite good for me. <laughs> like, yeah. No, I would say like, yeah, I always say that the MCU as a whole has even their worst movie is better than most of what DC has put out and most of yeah. what comic book movies in general have put out. Yeah, um, I would agree. Most with that. of what Marvel Marvel puts out, even if it's stuff that I probably won't watch as much, mm -hmm. like, say, I'll put out there Iron Man 2 and the Hulk um, that. Those are those are two of the ones on my on, on the very bottom. Um, mm -hmm. They're still great movies. I still watch them. Um, I'll watch those above most any other comic book movies. So, yeah, just because yeah. their consistency is good. I feel like I feel like so the Hulk, especially I have a massive love for the character, but the film. Yeah, it's uneven. Yeah, it's, it's uneven. very uneven. And yeah. I do, I do stand by. I really wish that Mark Ruffalo had been Hulk from the beginning for me, yeah. but only just because I'm. I love Mark Ruffalo. I love most of oh. what he's done in his entire career. Everything, everything that he's acted, he's done with a sincerity that I appreciate in terms of character. Um, and I do as much as obviously the Hulk film was a bit of a flop. I do kind of wish they'd taken a risk and done Mark Ruffalo's individual Hulk film. But here we are. We've got to the point now in the MCU where I don't think it makes sense for him to have his own film. It, we've kind of passed that point. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the whole film's one of the bottom ones for me as well. Yeah. Even, yeah, though, I even mean, though I do adore him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's... it's But these this this Guardians movie stands high above um, most, you know, I, I would put it pretty high. Um, if I look at my letterbox, um, I've got an MCU ranked 
list. Oh, amazing. And I feel uh, like I need to do that. <laughs> now, I will say that, you know, a lot of the new, newer movies have kind of pushed things down. Um, mm-hmm. And so Guardians is probably, let's see, where's Guardians? Though? Where is it? Oh, there it is. So Guardians is number 12 on my list currently. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So there's, uh, you know, like I said, there's some newer stuff in here that I've I've elevated higher. But I would, you know, I would say generally that's not not bad where it's at, honestly. No. Uh, number what's, 12 out of 41 things currently. What's Guardians below? So what's your number 11? So uh, it's, it's Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, okay, fair enough. I mean, yeah, if you're gonna if you're, if you're gonna put something above Guardians, yeah, Spider Man, fair enough. So I currently have Guardians three above that at number mm-hmm. six, and Guardians two is at uh, number thirty. Um, fair. So, um, you know, but it's it's again, my list is kind of in fluctuation because um, I'm rewatching things, and so things will be kind of move up and down accordingly. Um, yeah. On, you know, especially newer stuff that I watched that I gave like four or five stars to will mm-hmm. probably go down to, you know, four or three stars, depending on, you know, where I kind of place it. Um, like something like um, Guardians 3 will probably go down a little bit. Um, yeah. Not not a whole lot because I really liked it. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that it, it stands pretty tall uh, with everything else. Yeah. And are I'm, you I'm pretty forgiving? <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> Are you are you including only MCU on this list, or is it Sony projects as well? What what's no, your kind of so stance it, on it? So this is just uh, this is just MCU. Um, nice. So MCU um, movies, which does include the Spider Man, um, S- Sony, like just just the Tom Holland Spider Man movies, right? Um, and, so not Spider Verse, not the animated. No, no. Fair. Um, cool. And then, uh, and then all the Disney Plus shows are, are are all ranked in here as well. So, oh yeah, well, I mean, they're all canon as well, so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. to be honest, I think I think Guardians One is still as as a standalone film. I think Guardians One might be number three on my list. Okay, right. but that's just because of the, the more pool like nostalgia hits that I get from it yeah. and the amount of watchability that I have for it and the kind of love overall, I think I have for those characters now. So I think, right. uh, yeah, I think it's maybe third on my list. Okay. But like in, for entire MCU, I'd say. Yeah. I have a, uh, typically mine are, you know, much more, um, some of the bigger things, um, mm-hmm. stuff that's above that is like, uh, infinity war and in game. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, all all three of the spider-man movies um mm-hmm. quantum mania um because i like quantum mania and i don't care what anybody says i was um, gonna say i think you're one of the only people that i know that I has know. said <laughs> how much they love that film that's really surprising yeah fair enough i mean um, if there's reasons to love for you then absolutely yeah. fair enough i'm never yeah. i'm never one with mcu to like tear yeah, people down same. for their favorites i feel yeah. like people always have reasons to love what they love and i mean quantum mania was a lot of fun yeah and 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 that's the thing i think people were just the some of the complaints i've heard on it do, don't hold water uh like yeah. i get that <laughs> if it's not your cup of tea fine it's not your thing mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know it, it it to to compare it to guardians is in a lot of ways it's very guardians like um yeah. 
and so you know to you know because it's about family it's in this weird weird universe and mm-hmm. so you know it's you know for me it, it hit a lot of those things um but uh also i love paul rudd um yes and that you know i've loved him before he entered the mcu um and then um kang is one of my favorite um uh comic book villains um yeah so getting to see him and the high evolutionary in these recent movies has just been like so good and that's what helps elevate um my scores for those movies as well is just because mm-hmm. they got great actors to play them um and you know uh, i mean we'll see how well that goes in the future but um with uh with jonathan majors anyway uh yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll see how that's handled and uh report yeah. back on that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. but yeah so overall i really love uh this first guardians of the galaxy movie it's it's just a, it's a lot of fun uh, it helped move the 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 mcu forward in, in a fun and interesting way um and that's 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 my final thoughts on it <laughs> i think i have to agree with you there yeah i think as as a film itself it was uh, it was it was an event for me it it, it yeah. really shaped what I think I ended up loving so much about the MCU for the future, because it had the heartfelt moments, it had the seriousness, but it also had the wacky weirdness. And right. as an absolute weirdo myself, I love I love a weird <laughs> film. <laughs> yes, absolutely. As, as a final thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, now that we've done that, uh, why don't you let people know where they can find you online? Yeah, so you can find me uh, haunting ghouls magazine uh which is a uh, an online magazine which has lists reviews editorials from a female non-binary perspective i'm a senior contributor there so check me out i've got a bunch of articles there um when i'm not ranting about all sorts of horror films on that you can see me on various social media platforms i'm not going to say the the new name for it i am on twitter <laughs> yes no it will it's always Twitter. It it's is never Twitter. anything else. It's always Twitter. I'm not. I don't I'm care not, what. I don't care what the no. what they say. It's Twitter. It's not up for discussion. It's Twitter. <laughs> exactly. But you can find me uh, under the handle fall underscore out underscore Iona because I am a very older emo elder now. But I'm still an emo elder. Still there for Fallout Boy and all that kind of stuff. I'm with you. So. And then when I'm not ranting about them or horror films, I'll be ranting about other geeky culture and TV shows and movies and MCU. So yeah, check me out. Absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me again. Hopefully we'll uh, do it again soon. Definitely. Thanks again to Iona for joining me. Next week, Angel Krauss joins me to talk about the Blair Witch Trilogy. And on Friday, Devon Taylor returns to talk about Avengers Age of Ultron. Thanks for listening. Creepy and Geeky is a part of the Morbidly Beautiful podcast network. Please check out morbidlybeautiful.com slash podcasts for more great shows. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving the show five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, please share the podcast on social media to help spread the word. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or at creepyandgeeky.com. Music for the podcast is Gratitude, composed by Jerry Smith. You can follow the podcast on social media at creepyandgeeky on both Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to follow me, I'm Geek Thulu on Twitter and Blue Sky and Geek.Thulu on Instagram. 
you can support the podcast by ordering teas and more on TeePublic or by donating to the coffee page. All of the links are in the show notes. Finally, don't forget, stay creepy.